Welcome to episode 32 of Communicast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond, a global communication skills training organization. In this episode, I'm talking with Liz Kislik. Liz is a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Forbes, and through her work as a management consultant and executive coach, helps organizations and individuals reach the next level of growth and success. Check out the episode to learn strategies that will help you improve your self-awareness, hone your listening skills, and develop a common language at your organization. I hope you enjoy. Liz, thank you so much for joining me today. Scott, I'm happy to be with you. Perfect. Well, before we jump into it, to get things started, why don't you tell the listeners just really a little bit about yourself, your background, and ultimately, really, what are you working on today? Okay, so I am a management consultant and an executive coach, and I will have had my practice for 35 years this coming December. And um, I also am a frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review and to Forbes because I have a lot of opinions about how business should be done and how people should behave and treat each other while doing that. I started out my career working in a marketing agency, getting opportunity after opportunity because I think in many ways, just like your sign says, I was willing to work very hard and I was actually nice to people. And the combination is a winner. So doing that, sometimes I was in over my head. Uh, For example, when I was 23, I was a vice president and managing a 300 person call center. Wow. This was the hardest job of my life, really. And I will say I didn't enjoy it all that much. Couldn't fix enough problems enough of the days. There were always too many things going on. And it was only after that experience with some distance from it that I could actually see some of the things that became the principles for the way I actually work today. And in terms of what I'm doing now, so it's pretty varied because I like, you know, I like to stay interested in my own work. That Um, is important, yes. Yeah, so I enjoy having a variety of assignments, but what I have really come to love in the last few years I do a lot of work with family business, and that is fantastic because there really is a lot of love in it besides the Mm -hmm. business part, and quite a bit of work with nonprofits. And in some ways, in those two groups, there is often, not always, but often a more explicit caring about relationships and how we treat each other, which doesn't mean they do it well all the time. Mm -hmm. But the intention is more explicit. And so that creates opportunity to actually help people make changes to behave in the way they think they actually want to. Very cool. That is such an 
fascinating story. And I just think back to, you know, when I was 23 years old, I know I definitely was not ready or prepared to run an organization or 300 person call center, but I, and I can't remember, I'm not positive it was Richard Branson or someone along those lines that mentioned, if you're offered an opportunity that you don't necessarily know how to do, take it and figure it out. And it sounds like you, you kind of worked your way through there. But what I really love what you said was once you had a little bit of distance between you and that experience, you got a little bit of clarity around, you know, how things could have been better. And ultimately, I think what I heard is how now you can help other people and other organizations operate more effectively with less dysfunction, better communication, better relationships. Did I, am I capturing that? Yeah, you got that pretty well. I, you Love know what I would add to that? Less misery. I don't like the suffering that often goes on in organizations. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessary. That doesn't mean there aren't hard things. There are many hard things, and some of them are interpersonal. But the kind of carrying a tremendous weight that some people do, you know, it's like Sunday night, they think about picking up that weight again. That doesn't have to be so bad. Yeah. I I remember for years, my wife having what she would call her Sunday night depression, usually around three, four o'clock uh, on Sundays. And this was when she was a school teacher and just, you know, was not oh. enjoying it. The, the workload was crazy in a very large bureaucratic red tape paperwork driven district. So yeah, I would I agree. You know, getting to that point where people you know aren't aren't dreading and ideally are looking forward to showing up to work each and every day. Yeah, Liz, I, I would think from from your experience, the the career you've had. I think you mentioned you're getting ready for 35 years this December, which is fantastic. You, especially working with those family businesses, you, you probably run into communication challenges, communication problems a bit that are impacting organizations and likely have ran into some really, really good communicators and maybe yeah, some not so much that could use some improvement. But when you hear that term that somebody is a really strong communicator or that they're a great communicator or have solid communication skills, what what picture pops into your mind there? Okay, so the visual I just got was of somebody listening. Because until you do that, you don't actually know what you're dealing with. And there are all kinds of technique things we could talk about in terms of how you put a message out, how you structure it, the language you use, tone, all of those things. But until you understand what's coming in, it's hard to be smart about the other stuff. And in today's world, gosh, Scott, it is so obvious. People need to be heard. Mm -hmm. Even in non-work situations, I'm sure we've all had the experience of that person who almost can't stop talking. You know, they need the audience. They don't have the opportunity to be heard. Mm -hmm. Organizations are rife with this. Yeah. And in the hybrid environment, the remote environment, you've got more of this now than ever because the opportunity for casual conversation is less. So people are carrying around a lot of stuff they want to say. Um, mm -hmm. So 
I see listening and attention as the first couple of things that are really crucial. Definitely agree there. Listening is really one of those foundational core skills to effective communication because I could have the best message in the world. I could have the fanciest, flashiest PowerPoint deck, great vocabulary, whatever it is. But if it is completely tone deaf to what the audience is interested in and the questions that people perhaps have been asking leading up to mm -hmm. that conversation or that meeting, it's going to fall flat. So I think listening is so important from that standpoint to understand your audience and their needs, their goals, their desires. But the one thing that you also hit on is sometimes simply just listening, not listening with the intent to respond, not listening with the intent to immediately jump in and provide a solution, which I will say, that's one of the things I continue to work on is my immediate reaction. Okay, here's how we can solve this. Sometimes, and I, and I think I agree, especially over the past couple of years, sometimes people just need to get things out, whether it is venting or if it is just simply talking with people. I think you know, I take for granted that I live in a you know very populated area with neighbors all around. I have you know my wife and my kids. I have family that has moved all around me. Not everybody has that. So if you're in that situation where you would thrive in that office environment or you really needed that personal connection, then got shoved home and you really don't have that. And maybe you're on Zoom calls, but maybe not. Maybe you're just really working on your computer all day. Sometimes it is important just to listen and kind of be able to read people and sense when they just need to talk things out a little bit. It doesn't have to be business all day, every day. Have those opportunities for genuine conversations and connections. It's really the first step for people understanding, recognizing that you care about them. Spot on. And you know, I think going along with that, to me, tied very closely with listening is questioning. And especially, I would think, with your line of work with management consulting and working as an executive coach, the, the types of questions are going to have a big impact on the responses that you get and really signal to people that you care. Yes. You have to be careful with questioning because... Sometimes when you're a really curious person or you really want to know something, I'm a very curious person mm -hmm. and people can feel peppered by your questions. It can almost feel too much like an inquisition, an interrogation. Absolutely. And so asking questions in the flow of the conversation while leaving plenty of room for response, that's important. And asking questions that are clearly relevant to what the person wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't ask the questions, it's often hard to get to the meat of the issue. And one of the things you talk about kinds of questions, it's a remarkable thing in an organization, how many people can use the same terms and actually mean different things. And I've facilitated leadership meetings where there was significant conflict. And once we actually defined the terms and came up with sometimes new language, mm -hmm. because one person says it this way and one person says it that way, and you have to have the definitions out. 
But once you do that, people understand that they may actually be talking about the same thing. Or conversely, they think they are talking about the same thing, but not in a way that it can be conveyed back to people outside the meeting room. So the language becomes very important and questioning to confirm that what you think you're understanding is actually what the other person means. That can go a long way to clarifying. That's huge. Questioning to confirm making sure that you really did understand their intent. Sometimes sometimes you're going to be spot on. Sometimes you're going to be way off with it. And as you're doing the questioning, it really should feel more like a conversation versus, as you mentioned, inquisition, or if you're, you're in the room being interrogated, you want it to feel natural, have that flow to it. And what I found as well is providing context. When I ask a question, especially if it may be honestly an uncomfortable question, but perhaps a challenging question, I'm really digging deep on something, simply saying the reason I ask is Mm -hmm. just letting them know why you're asking that can help bring those guards down a little bit, help people open up a little bit more. Yeah. And when it comes to that communication, being clear is so important. For example, someone might ask me something, whether it's in a meeting or at home, and we'll be talking about something, they'll describe what they want to do or what they're going to do. And I'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. To me, that means, okay, that makes sense, but I still need to go back and think about it and process it and then let you know what's going to happen to them, especially if it maybe it's my son who's asking about something. I say, yeah, that makes sense. Boom. He's ready to run with that and take that as a yes. So that was a great point. Really making sure that you're speaking the same language internally and that when you say something that really there's a consensus around what that means. And you raise such an interesting point, and it's a real thing. And that's that different people absorb information at different paces. And some people are fast on their feet, and you can have the full meeting right there in a quick conversation, and you're done. And other people really need to go back and process and think about, now, how does this affect me? And won't A, B, and C be problems? And then come back and clear all that with you. And if you don't create the opportunity for those people who need the second round, Mm -hmm. either they can go off half cocked or more likely they won't move. And the thing, you know, the instructions you feel you've given, the commitment you feel you've gotten, you gave something and they committed to something but nothing's happening. So closing those loops really can make a difference. Spot on. Now that is fantastic. Liz, we we hit on a couple of big things, the idea of questioning and listening and interwoven in there is this idea of being clear, but you through the work that you're doing, whether it's with organizations, individuals, family businesses, What are maybe some additional skills that you're seeing that really are important in the business world today, or perhaps maybe they're they're lacking and you're, you're finding yourself consistently having to work with folks to try and hone in on some of these skills? I'm going to start with a couple of the aspects that you could categorize under emotional intelligence. And the first one is self-awareness. Sometimes for people who don't have a lot of it, I explain this as knowing your turning radius. 
when are you knocking into people? You know, <laughs> where are you making room for people to come toward you? So self-awareness about the way you come across, the way others perceive you, whether you are feeling threatened by something and therefore how you deal with it versus when you're feeling comfortable, all the aspects of self-awareness, very important. And that then segues directly into self-regulation. What does a person do when they are in fact feeling uncomfortable? Can they manage that in a way that is safe for other human beings? Or are they better off saying, you know, this is hard for me. I could use a break and go and process and then come back well. Because so many of us, if we feel someone is questioning us, or if we feel we're in over our heads, people sometimes can sort of come out at the other person in an overly harsh way, or go stone cold silent. These are all things I'm sure you've observed in meetings. And the ability to self-manage, even under duress, that helps somebody be much more successful in any collaborative environment. Those two things going together really are just so important. The self-awareness, and I love the idea of being aware of your turning radius. I just, there's so many visuals of bumping into things and bumping into people, but they're just a perfect analogy to really just in general, how aware you are of, of yourself, not just your body and if you're flailing about, but what kind of sets you off? What causes you to shut down? What gets you very excited? What, you know, maybe you're playing your, your hand too, too loose or something like that. But mm -hmm. so you take this idea of self-awareness and then the ability to self-regulate is really where I think the magic happens when it comes to the emotional intelligence. What would you say maybe for somebody that's, that's listening to this and maybe something, gosh, me, I'm really not self-aware in, in general. Like, what are ways that people can build that muscle? Because it is a skill, I think. It's something you have to work at really to focus on this idea of self-awareness. Okay, I'm going to suggest a couple of things. One is just to observe more. Observe how other people are responding. When you're speaking, when you're not speaking. When they're speaking to someone else, do they seem the same with you as they do with someone else? Actually watching what's happening, listening for tone of voice. Uh, those sometimes give you clues about things you can then go on to the next stage and ask questions about. You can say directly to somebody, how did that come across to you? Am I being clear? Was it comfortable for you when we were discussing thus and so, or is there a way I could have approached it better? When we ask for feedback, we're creating permission for other people to tell us, particularly if we can keep ourselves calm so that the other people aren't concerned that they're going to set us off. So I'm going to actually um, suggest that when people are trying this, they also be very conscious of if their bodies are calm, because we recognize each other as animals in a way mm -hmm. before we even know what the language is about. You know, is that person frowning or, oh, we all know somebody who who um, taps their foot. 
more when they're tenser, mm-hmm. you know, faster, louder. Look for those tells and signals when you're dealing with other people and start noticing which are yours. Um, so those are the kinds of ways you can both self-assess and ask people. It's also good to have somebody who's in the position of a kind of wing person. Mm-hmm. Before you go into a meeting, you say to your colleague, okay, this is going to be tense. In this presentation, I'm worried about getting this point across and how our boss is going to react. And I know that this director is going to be annoyed, all these things. So please keep an eye on me. First of all, I'm going to want to know at the end where I could have done better. Did I cut anybody off? Did I go on too long? Any of those things. Mm -hmm. But second of all, if you see that I'm doing and you choose like one or two things, please just tap your pen or shake your head. Create some agreed upon signal if you feel you can handle the feedback in the heat of the moment. Sometimes we actually can't. But if you feel you can do it, having somebody who has agreed to provide you with that feedback can't beat that. So much great stuff. I just want to hit on a couple of things that, that I really, really enjoyed. The first thing really, if, if you're going to ask for feedback, it's a good idea not to blow up at the person that does provide you that feedback, even if uh, even if you're not here. So, so spot on there. And then the other thing that is so great about the self-awareness is that you can look, and it sounds counterintuitive, but you can look to others to build your self-awareness so that you know, Liz, if I'm talking to you this whole time, if you're just, you know, arms crossed and a scowl on your face, taking the time to really focus in on people when you talk to them and listening with your eyes as well as your ears, that's going to help me maybe recognize, all right, I, I've lost Liz. Maybe I'm being too, too terse or I'm just, whatever it may be, my message or the way I'm delivering it, it is not resonating. So self-awareness is not always just immediately looking in or looking in the mirror, but you can use, as you said, everyone else's cues to help that. Then I think as you start to do that, you become it becomes a skill, right? You have to continue to practice it. And then I think you even just start before you even recognize body language, you're going to pick up on it yourself. You may just even notice your tone or you're talking too quickly. Uh, for me, it is a lot of, if I repeat the same word over and over again, I hear, as soon as it comes out of my word, if I'm using the same word in a conversation a lot, my mind triggers that. So I think, you know, looking to others, as you mentioned, and then partnering with someone that I recorded an episode yesterday or the day before where, you know, he was, he was talking with somebody and it was in a virtual meeting. So it was even more difficult to do it, but he said during the virtual meeting, they shot him a text message and say, hey, am I coming across too strong right now? So having those folks in your network that you can trust and the big thing, can you handle the feedback, especially in, in the moment? For some people, it might rattle them if they come back and say, hey, slow your roll a little bit. Right. Uh, you're upsetting everyone. That might throw some people off their game. So you do have to, when you are asking for that feedback, especially in the heat of the moment, make sure and do that, that self-check. Can I handle this or will this really just kind of knock the wheels off the bus, so to speak? Exactly so. So I'm sure your audience knows this because they listen to you all the time. 
But what you're doing yourself is you're summarizing what I'm saying. You're giving it back to me, not word for word. This is not mirroring, but you're giving it back to me in tidy little packages that are interesting in and of themselves. And you're checking. You're mm -hmm. not presuming that you've got it exactly right. As you deliver it, you're verifying with me that this is really what I meant. It's a perfect example. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give folks one other arena almost that they can work in. And it's the body. I was thinking about, I was, so I was at the dentist yesterday and I was having my teeth cleaned and I love my dentist. Even so, this is not the least stressful ex experience you mm -hmm. know, that a person has. And I found that during the course of it, I could feel my body tightening, you know, my shoulders going into my ears and I was holding my leg very tight, all of this. And I would have to tell myself, it's okay, honey, relax a little. It's okay. You're fine. You can, you know, sit through this and I would relax my body again. And then I would get tense again and I would relax myself yep. again. You can do that in a conversation. You can notice that your breathing has become shallow or that your voice is kind of like up in your throat in mm -hmm. that way or that you're tapping or that you feel hot, any of those things. And when those happen, you can, of course, take a break. Oh, I just need a drink of water. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just need to get a tissue. Oh, there are a lot of ways you can call for a break if you don't want to just say, could we take five? But the other thing is, even while it's happening, you can note what's going on in your body and ground yourself again. And one of the quickest ways to do it is just to press your feet to the floor. In your shoes, if you're wearing shoes, both feet on the floor and feel the support of the ground and actually feel your feet in your shoes on the floor. And just that physical sensation your brain realizes, oh, you're not running. There's nobody chasing you. <laughs> and your body starts to calm yep. down. And then everything else attached to your speech calms down too. I went through a similar but different experience just yesterday. My my oldest, my son is in, in middle school and he's playing football. And they had a game yesterday that they, they ultimately lost by two points in overtime. So this is a you know, middle school football game. This is a you know, big grand scheme of thing. doesn't mean anything, but I'm in the stands and I can just feel myself like my, I'm grinding my teeth, my jaws. And I have to say, Scott, it's a, it's a kid's game because I'm just so excited and so tense. But to, to your point, when you realize it, like I would just, you know, kind of shake it out a little bit, do that. Or, and I do find when I'm in, in, in meetings like this, doing the podcast or virtual calls, I, you know, I used to do this a lot, swivel on my seat and kind of get a little fidgety. And what I've simply found exactly to your point, I put my feet flat on the ground and then I'll just place my palms on my desk that immediately just kind of calms and it, you know, people can't see it in the video, but when I'm not gesturing, my hands are flat down on the desk because it is one of those things where I was, you know, fortunately made aware by someone early in my career that I tend to swivel a lot in virtual meetings so I continue and it's, it's a you know, daily practice when I'm on calls to just 
use these skills I can find that can help ground me and, and prevent those things that can be distracting during a meeting. Right. And that's exactly, it's a daily practice. You've known it for years and you still have to work on it because our tendencies are our tendencies. We're not perfect in this stuff. And the outside influences are always calling forth these responses. It was just a kid's game and it wasn't a big deal in the scheme of things, except that you cared about it. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes. If you care about something when it's not going the way you want it to, it can be triggering. I don't mean like triggering, like you want to go over and punch somebody, but it gets your juices going. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when we start acting out if our self-regulation isn't good. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you definitely see that from some parents at sporting events. Usually once a week, you see it in the news or see it on social media. Those are the folks we're talking about that can't self-regulate. So (laughs) spot on. Liz, as you think about your, your career, if you really had to say, you know, this is the one key skill that really has helped me to to get to the point where you are today, having a successful business, you're getting ready to celebrate 35 years. I know it's challenging to grab one, but if you had to pinpoint, this is really the one thing that I that you feel has helped you the most throughout your career. I don't like giving you one. <laughs> Nobody does. It's really hard. But if I'm going to limit myself, even though I have all these caveats, Scott, um, I'm going to say it's my curiosity. Because that makes me want to know. I want to know how things work. I want to understand what went wrong when they don't work. It's like a puzzle. I love the puzzle. And I love introducing other people to looking at things as a puzzle and not as a problem. Curiosity plays such a big part in communication because, as you mentioned, it leads to you wanting to know things and caring about that. And I think that combination of really wanting to know, being genuinely curious and caring helps you to come across as being very authentic, you know, in your communication style versus, all right, I'm in this meeting. I, I got to check the, I need to find this information out so I can get you a proposal, whatever. But if you really are truly curious about why things are going sideways at a company or why is there this, it, it helps you to come across as, as authentic. And I think, People really do value that, especially when they're coming to you for something as important as helping them solve a challenge or a problem or helping them grow their business. That authenticity that comes from the curiosity is, is really important. And at a prior prior job that I had, prior company I worked at, we, we really developed an entire program around creativity and innovation. And a big part of that mm-hmm. creativity is very closely tied to curiosity and well, oftentimes it it seems like it's an, an innate skill. Some people are curious. Some people are not curious. It really is something that can be taught. It goes back to so many of these skills. You practice it. I just remember one of the, the activities they had us do was take a different route home from work. Just jot down all the things that you notice. So as you start to work on these muscles, it's going to, oh, I never noticed that house over there. Oh, look at that new restaurant over there. Then it leads you, oh, you know, what if I a different way the next time home you start to explore so the, the beautiful thing about all these skills is you can learn them and you can can get better at them over time if you make an intentional effort to practice 
That's really true. I think our instinctive communication is not always our best. Mm-hmm. Spot on. <laughs> Liz, as you think through through your journey, who's been somebody that has influenced your style? And you know, maybe what have you taken, you know, stolen a little bit, tweaked, made your own, and, and really put it into practice? I'm going to give you two. One was very early, my grandfather, who had a business and really loved his employees. He truly cared about them. And I learned that from him. And he spoke to them lovingly and spoke about them lovingly. And that may count even more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when they're not there, if you can still speak about them kindly, even though they may be difficult, mm-hmm. um, that was very meaningful to me. The other is an opposite kind of example. I knew an executive who spoke judgmentally and harshly and often in a cutting way to people when I was in my early 20s. And I was just so clear that I didn't want to do that. I just, it was like, that is not for me. (laughs) I don't want that. And those two things in combination, I think were really helpful. It's, it's so important for people to realize that you need to not only learn from the good things that you observe, you model, follow the, the positive behaviors that are being modeled, but be aware of those behaviors that are not so good, that can be detrimental. Sometimes, and I think we see this a lot in families where it carries on generation to generation where, okay, well, I'm going to parent my children the same way my parents, you know, raise me. And sometimes you have to break away from that, whether it is from, you know, parent to child or from boss to somebody on their team, and then they move into a people leadership position, being mm-hmm. aware that just because your leader or other leaders from throughout your organization were doing things doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way or the best way to do it. So I'm a big fan of this idea of always be learning, whether it's from somebody that you admire, they're doing great things, might be somebody maybe you like personally, but gosh, they're just not a good leader. They're not good at their job. Really pick up on those things, what to do, what not to do, what to start doing, what to stop doing, because you can just really learn from every aspect of your life. It's really easy. It's easier if you can learn from other people's mistakes instead of having to make those mistakes. You know, that's just, it saves you time because we all make so many mistakes that if you can cut the number down, it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Liz, I want to be respectful of time. So as we wrap up here, if you had any piece of advice, closing advice to somebody, maybe they're, they're fresh out of school looking to get their first job, maybe they're going off starting their own business, or even mid-career, they're going to make a pivot, go do something completely different. What advice would you have to them around the importance of communication skills and really how they can impact their career? This is going to sound odd, but you can always go back. Don't assume you have muffed a conversation just because you came out of it feeling uncomfortable. First of all, you don't know that you muffed it. You just know you feel uncomfortable. So the self-examination is good. But in almost every situation, there is some kind of opportunity to go back and say, I'm not sure I covered this 
the most effective way, or I'm concerned that, and you explain whatever you think you got wrong, or you apologize if you know you did something or said something that wasn't suitable in the moment and explain how you want to redo it. Most people are so willing to take you at your word and hear that you want to try it again. The idea of self-correction is so much better. It means you've self-assessed and you have the courage to step up to it. So the idea that you can go back, it works for almost, not everything, but almost everything. I absolutely love that. Uh, and it's really something that hasn't come up a whole lot before in my conversations on, you know, on the show. But a lot of times when it comes to communication there, a lot of people follow the old adage of, all right, well, the, you know, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't get it back in. The conversation happened. Things were set, whatever it may be. But realizing that, okay, yes, that conversation didn't go well. Maybe you didn't say the right things. But more often than not, you can go back and, as you mentioned, take a second shot at it, demonstrate to the people that you really care. Now, I will say there are probably there, there are definitely things that you, you can say that it's going to be hard or impossible to come back from. But, you know, typically when you're having a conversation at work or conversation at home, maybe you weren't in the right headspace. Maybe you were busy or distracted, frustrated, tired, whatever it may be, or not simply not prepared. You have those conversations that don't go well. Realizing that, yes, you can go back and readdress it, that is huge. I think so many relationships, so many businesses, so many opportunities could have been salvaged by people realizing you can go back after that initial conversation. Right. I mean, I don't know that I'd try it with a cop, but... Good call. You know, but in the day-to-day, yes. relationships are meant to be built walking away from them, even just to ignore when you did something that wasn't great to pretend it didn't happen, it's much better to go back. Liz, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you joining me and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much, Scott. I enjoyed it too. Take care. A special thanks again to my guest, Liz Kislick. With her expertise, it is no surprise that her consulting business is in its 35th year. The big thing that stuck out to me from my conversation with Liz is that so many communication skills are interdependent. It's hard to be a great listener if you don't ask effective questions. And being self-aware won't make too much of a difference if you don't know how to self-regulate. If you've been enjoying the show, Leaving a rating or review would be greatly appreciated. And as always, if you haven't done so, please be sure to subscribe to Communicast so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thanks and have a great day.